This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. We're here with Dr. Rob Adam, uh, who is the Managing Director of the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory, which spearheads South Africa's activities in the Square Kilometre Array Radio Telescope. Before that, he served as the CEO of the South African Nuclear Energy Corporation from 2006 to 2012, and as Director General of Science and Technology. So thank you ever so much for joining us here today. It's a complete honour to have you uh, on the show. Thanks, Emma, and thanks, Jake, for inviting me. To kick us off a little bit, um, could you tell us a little bit about your current position um, at, the, at the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory and your work with the Square Kilometre Array and what you're doing with that? You know, up until about a year ago, the SKA initiative in South Africa was run as a project as opposed to being a national facility or an observatory in its own right. And the reason for that was that while we were still bidding to host the SKA, uh, we were set up as a project which was potentially short-term because we might have lost. And so to create a fully-fledged institution around a bid would not have been particularly sensible. And so when we won the bid, the notion first came to create now a brand new South African Radio Astronomy Observatory combining optical, uh, the existing old radio telescope at Harabias Hook, etc., etc., plus all of the SKA initiatives, including the AVN. There's a HERA, which is the Hydrogen Epoch of Reionization Array, which is a project funded by the NSF and the George and Betty Moore Foundation, uh, to bundle all of those into an astronomy institute or observatory. The minister at the time, her view was that this should happen in the fullness of time, but she would rather give everything time to be bedded down for the SKA project to kick off before getting people to worry about creating a new institution as opposed to building telescopes. And so as a kind of a halfway step, the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory was formed last year, which essentially is all of the SKA-related work, including Meerkat and then also the AVN and other projects that have been attracted in, you know, such as the Breakthrough Listen a project funded by Yuri Milner, venture capitalist. All of that was drawn into what's now called the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory. And at that stage, I was leading the SKA project in South Africa, including building the Meerkat and so on. And so I then became the first managing director of the SA Radio Astronomy Observatory, known as Soreo. Although Soreo, frankly, at this point, given that it's new, does not have a real brand in South Africa. Everyone knows the SKA. Probably one in every four people in the street in Johannesburg or Cape Town would know what that is. Whereas if you mention Soreo, almost nobody would. And so, well, that's just how it is. And that, that's so I'm the MD of Soreo, formerly the project director of SKA South Africa. But at this stage, Soreo really is still building. We were commissioning the Meerkat and delivering science out of it now. I think you'll see the first papers coming out quite soon. But ultimately, what will happen is that the Meerkat will get integrated into SK1. And, well, I guess Soreo then would be the Regional Science Data Center. You know, as a, because the actual physical infrastructure will get integrated into the, the overall telescope. So in a roundabout way, that's what I'm managing at the moment, and it's a moving target. It sounds like there's a great deal going on. No, definitely. I think that, you know, one of the things that attracted me to come back into the project was, was that. 
You know, originally when I was what I guess is a South African version of a permanent secretary, Director General of, of Science and Technology in the South African government, we had this idea of using astronomy to attract large science infrastructure into our country. And really it was done using leveraging on the ambitions, the science ambitions of Northern Hemisphere country. And you know, we did gamma in Namibia, the, the high energy stereoscopic system, the, the gamma ray telescope. Unfortunately, that seems to be on the wane now with CTI moving to Chile. And then the, the SALT, the Southern African Large Telescope, and then ultimately, you know, all that was really left to do was radio because you can't do anything else from the ground. And then, you know, we, we, in a way we're looking for projects and then also projects came looking for us. And SKA was much bigger than either HESS or SALT. And what's happened is it kind of self-organizes. I mean, you, you get proposals from all sorts of other groups to locate their experiments on your on our site, which has the basic controls in place from an RFI perspective, the management, the know-how, the infrastructure, supply route, ambulance services, safety, all of that stuff, which is important if you're out in the middle of nowhere. And so that creates its own attractor, which, as you say, there's lots happening. And of course, you have to balance that because you don't want too much to happen because then the main project finds it difficult to be realized because for any radio astronomy site, the, the more people, the more activity, the more interference. And of course, that's, there's a fine balance there because we're in Meerkat. We're trying to do real science at the same time as the SKA office here directed from Jodrell Bank. They're trying to build a telescope. And so we've got to manage doing science with them, with the telescope being built. And of course, there's tension in that and, and there has to be, but you know, there's a, a way of managing that interface on a daily basis that we believe is manageable. So is the management side of things, um, you know, the, the delivering, the managing the, the big projects, dealing with all the people, you know, involved in the project, potentially dealing with people in, in government and, you know, policies, it, it seems like that's quite a big thing. Yes, for, the, for this project, and that in a sense is what turns me on, you know, it's what, what I've done my, in my career, is I've been at that interface between political decision makers and big high-tech projects you know, trying to interpret politicians for the science leadership and in a sense protect them from that political layer and then also interpreting the importance of the science to the political layer and yeah I mean you might ask well why am I as somebody who really has a, a nuclear background and, and a, an administrative background what am I doing as managing director of an observatory, and, and I guess that's the answer. Is it's a some big moving project at this point. The the science, although we want to do as much science as possible, and I've appointed a chief scientist to to oversee that. It's a bigger project, and it's a longer term project, and it requires different skills. And uh, you're you're giving a talk here in Manchester tonight, and in your abstract, you say that you intend to highlight the importance of science communication for policy making, which we've just started yeah. to touch on here. Could you tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on science communication? You know, communicating astronomy to to the people that are making policies and uh, the impact that it has. Yeah, what I'm going to focus on this evening is three big projects that I've been involved in. That's the, the SKA. The pebble bed modular reactor, which is a, a high temperature modular reactor which was designed in, in South Africa. And then a so-called reactor conversion project where we converted our radioisotopes production reactor from using weapons grade uranium to using low enriched uranium. And communication, particularly 
to that political layer. Very important throughout both of those projects. And what I'll emphasize is the needs to have multiple channels upwards. Uh, this is not classic science communication, but it's communication about science and about engineering. Put all your eggs in one basket, there's a chance someone's going to drop that basket. Uh, so at the risk of seeming disloyal, you need to forge different channels. You also need to find ways to keep each of those senior stakeholders happy. They may have different interests, but you need to package the product in such a way that those interests don't appear to be contradictory. Now, for example, in the in the, the reactor conversion project, a big stakeholder was the U.S. government and U.S. national nuclear security because after 9-11, it was a no-brainer that the Americans were going to go all over the world trying to convince anyone who had weapons-grade uranium to hand it over to a weapon state as defined in the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And we used to supply their markets with radio, medical radioisotopes coming from our reactor. The other key stakeholder was the International Atomic Energy Agency, who, who had an interest in portraying nuclear as a global public good. And then you had our own government who was interested, apart from the prestige of us becoming the first country to produce certain medical radioisotopes not using weapons-grade uranium, there's a foreign exchange earning potential. And so there were all those interests, and you had to create different messages for each of them. Often those were private messages, but they were still science-based communication, or communication, what if a better term. So I, I won't be talking about classic science communication, in other words, explaining to housewives why detergents work and so on. Uh, I'll be doing, I'll be explaining why communication is uh, absolutely critical to science projects and how to craft the messages for the particular stakeholder. So it sounds very much like a two-way process. The phrase we I heard used earlier in the Q&A this morning, it was policy for driving science and also science for driving policy. So that sounds very much like what's going on here. You know, absolutely. I mean, to, to generate the science in the first place, you need policy to drive science. Uh, which obviously has to be embedded in an overall national policy. And then science to drive policy, that's it's a very focused intervention which takes into consideration the relatively small bandwidth that you're going to get you know, from decision-makers, uh, bearing in mind, of course, that, that the average politician is ADD, attention deficit disorder. Two-page memo is about as far as you go because the, the poor guy or woman has 50 memos and you just can't, Absorb it when you when you when you're trying to multitask intellectually. Two pages is, is about as much as you can absorb. Uh, so you know you need to to keep the message absolutely clear at that level. Policy for science is your own bread and butter. You can't generate the the other part without being part of a national plan where development of science is seen as part of a national development agenda. So it is very important for scientists to be part of that conversation. Yes, and, and not in a narrow sense. You know, we had a fund years ago in South Africa called the Innovation Fund. You know, which was a fund which was supposed to connect ideas arising in the academic research community with applications in industry. And you know, where the idea came about largely was, was when one looks at patenting in developed countries, you will see that American patent applicants cite by and large American R&D in their patent applications. 
So there's a kind of a knock-on effect which almost justifies doing the research. There's a transmission through to industrialization, which is clear. What you find in less developed countries is that the patent applications there will cite research papers from developed countries. And the research that's done will link to the alma mater, for example, somebody who studied in Manchester will go back to Ghana. And then his or her research will be linked to research in Manchester. So there's a kind of a divergence of, of approaches. And so we put this fund in place to try to bridge that. And in general, what you'd find is that somebody would come to you and they would simply see the word fund. They wouldn't see what the fund was trying to achieve. And so they'd try and prove to you that what they were doing needed funding from this. It's difficult as a scientist because you desperately want the funding. The only way you'll ultimately get funding is to see what fits you rather than try and hurtle yourself at everything um, because you might not fit there. Yeah, to be part of that conversation means that ultimately you'll hopefully understand the, the mesh of different policy instruments. You mentioned earlier that you kind of come into astronomy from a reasonably different background. So you, you said your background was in chemical engineering, chemistry. How did you get into physics and astronomy? Look, I had a... So I had some chemistry as a, as a undergrad and needed postgrad level, and I got a PhD in, in, in theoretical nuclear physics. Uh, astronomy, I, I was a, a lecturer in physics at the University of Natal in South Africa. And then in 1995, I was, because of a political background that I, I had in the ANC, I was uh, invited to come into government to assist to set up a new science department. And really what happened there was that we looked at what different disciplines would attract international investors to invest in South African science. And astronomy was one of them. And so, you know, back to the beginning again, we, we started this whole program in order to set up an astronomy infrastructure in South Africa, funded not just by ourselves, but by other countries too. And so I was deeply involved in conceptualizing our involvement in the SKA, in, in driving it through political processes. And I chaired the steering committee for the South African SKA for over a decade. So I was intimately involved in decision-making in the project, but not really at the engineering or scientific coalface. And so in a way, I ran things in reverse. Usually you expect someone to come up from that coalface and then go into policy and, and management, but I kind of did it the other way around. That's how I got here. I suppose a good question would be to ask at this point, now that South Africa has won involvement with the SKA and Meerkat and these other projects... What do you see the future as being for South African astronomy once those come online? Well, what we've done to anticipate that is have a huge human capital development initiative. You know, we've in a way become unpopular because we've had a lot of money, fortunately, from our government uh, to develop a radio astronomy community rather than simply be a passive host of an international project, international instrument. And so over the past 13 years now, I think it is, We've had a very affirmative science human capital investment program where we funded the whole supply chain of, of students from, from even at undergrad level. We've taken a limited number of really good students and then through to masters, PhD, postdoc. There's five research chairs in, in radio astronomy specifically aimed at the SKA. So we've tried to, through that, that human capital development pipeline, Trying to create a community, of course, it takes longer than 13 years and you lose people too. You know, they, they go to industry and they do all sorts of things. Can't stop that always. You know, in the first call for proposals, which happened seven, eight years ago, I think, for the large survey projects, we expected, and that's what happened, for these projects to be largely led by foreign PIs. 
But now we're going to issue another call for proposals at the end of this year. And we're fully expecting that there'll be strong South African proposals too. We think it's probably better to insist that PIs, if they're foreign, include South African students because you know the, the best way to, to grow good science is not to force people to be supervised by one of your own nationals, but to get the best people to supervise. So in a roundabout way, what I'm saying is that I hope that we've done ourselves proud over the last 13 years in growing the community. There have been over, by the way, I think about 1,100 bursaries and postdocs and whatever funded over that period, which I think is not insignificant. Um, and hopefully we've, we've grown the community to an extent where we can now competitively submit proposals as, as South African PIs, but we'll see. Right. Do you have any other questions to ask? Uh, there's one thing. From a scientific perspective, the Square Kilometre Array will have lots of obviously science goals. Are there any of the areas of astronomy that the SKA will be looking into? Is there any of them in particular um, that you're particularly excited about? Or are you impartial to them all? You know, as I said, I'm not an astronomer, but I am a physicist. And so anything which, to me, impacts on fundamental physics excites me. You know, whether it's the pulsar testing of general relativity, you know, and that, that's tremendously exciting. Anything to do with dark energy, you know, that's fundamental, that, the dark matter. Phenomenology, you know, as a, as a non-astronomer interests me less. Uh, but the impact of this onto general fundamental physics, that, that's what turns me on. And I think, you know, frankly, where we are at the moment with, with astronomy is that we're in a better position than particle physics, because particle physics, you, God almost reached the limits. You don't know where to build, to what energy to build the next machine to. You know, whereas in astronomy, all the machines are up there you know, and, and uh, they've been built for you. So you can have a, have your spectrum of energy choices. So yeah, I think in a nutshell, it's, it's the fundamental stuff that turns me on. And I'm sure the SKA will be able to explore quite a bit of that. Oh, definitely. I think that's, that sounds like a reasonable place to stop. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thanks, Jake. Thanks. Sam, we look forward to your lecture this evening. I look forward to, to being there and I hope it's interesting to all of you. Mm-hmm.